Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Ready for the Word? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for opening eyes today, illuminating hearts. Father, I pray that we are all anchored and that we have an assurance leaving this message that's greater than the assurance we had when we got started today. So I give you the honor for what you accomplished in the precious name of Jesus, I pray, and we all say amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 or your app or whatever you're using. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, and we are again uh, continuing in our series of Full Armor of God, and we're going to talk today about uh, assurance, assurance. Ephesians 6 and verse 14. Paul says by the Holy Spirit, stand therefore. You know, I, I've tried to teach my children that uh, falling only becomes fatal when you don't get up anymore. And, uh, you know, just as we must never let success go to our heads, we must never let failure go to our hearts. And that's really, really important. And I know this is easier said than, than, than done, but failure is part of success. Often we fail our way towards success. Uh, you know, I, I have failed more times than I want to admit and in many uh, more areas than I'd like to talk about. But no one learns how to ride a bicycle without falling off at times. It's just part of the process. And Solomon talks about this process in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. He says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. You see, if we learn from our losses, we will really never lose. Uh, you know, if I fall seven times, I'm getting up eight times. If I fall 10 times, I'm getting up 11 times. If I fall 20 times, I'm going to get up 21 times. I'm not quitting until I win. I'm not quitting until the kingdom of God is advanced. This is my goal, and whatever it takes, as long as God gives me grace, I am going to stay at it. I like what Thomas Edison uh, said. You know, when he was creating the first light bulb, he ran into lots of problems, a lot of criticism, and you'll never do it, that, that type of thing. And uh, he pushed back. He said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 uh, ways that won't work. So basically, you know, now he, he knew more ways that wouldn't work. So, you know, the, the list of options that would work uh, got smaller and smaller, and, and his thinking became more and more obvious. Ephesians 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded, your waist. Now, we've learned already that this was the first piece of armor that a soldier, a Roman soldier, put on. And, and if you ever saw a soldier without his belt, it meant he was off duty, uh, that he was, uh, you know, doing personal things and he was not uh, actively soldiering, if you will. Having girded your waist with what? Truth. The psalmist said, and we covered this uh, last week, the entirety of your word is what? Truth. And you have to be settled on, uh, you know, where truth comes from. Is it, is it coming from the culture, what they're saying in the news? Uh, is, where, where is truth? Where's the source of your truth? And uh, the psalmist says, the entirety of your word. This, this book we read, this book we study has been God-breathed, and it will endure after the trends in science fade. The Word of God will prevail, and my source of truth is God's Word. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the breastplate, as we know, protected the major organs, at least many of the major organs, and uh, the heart, and that, that was key. And we know that when the heart is right, everything else follows. 
And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we talked about these spiky killer shoes, these shoes that typically had nails coming out of their soles that, that, that helped the, the soldier stand his ground. And, and a heart at peace with God cannot slip. And that's an important truth we, we talked about. Then last week, we focused on verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all, no matter what, all, no matter what shot your direction, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we spent a little time last week talking about the fact that the shield of faith does not necessarily stop the darts and the arrows from flying. It only stops their intended effect. Meaning in life, you're going to face some darts. You're going to face some challenges. Stuff's going to come your way. But what the devil intends for evil, God's going to ultimately work for good here. So, you know, holding this, this shield of faith is very important. It's believing if, if God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. And you got, you got to hold on to your faith when stuff starts coming your direction and, and it's not fair and you can't easily stop it. Again, we talked about this last week. When someone shot an arrow, he was projecting power. You could not use your sword uh, to fight that person because they were way off somewhere. And it's scary and it, it can feel quite overwhelming when stuff's coming at you and you can't, you know, get to the source. You can't put an end to the fiery arrows that are designed to hurt you and to harm you. You know, it, it's really important that we remember that we have an adversary. And the Bible uh, in this verse ends stating these fiery darts are from the wicked one. So uh, we are not just uh, playing offense. There is someone uh, that is trying to oppose us and stop us and, and block us. So we have to hold on to our faith in the middle of the channels, no matter what comes our way. And stuff, again, will come our way in life. You know, do you remember the name of the guy that gave up? Neither does anyone else, and that's my point. And what you got to learn to do is hang on and, and hang in there. Keep your shield up. And last week we discussed the fact that the arrows were often were, were like little bombs. When they hit the shield, uh, the, the, the fuel inside the arrow would explode, and the shield would be covered with fire, and, and it would, the, the soldier would be tempted to drop the shield in order to protect himself. And the devil wants us to drop our shields, to drop our faith and say, you know what, God, if this is happening, you must not be good. If this is happening, Lord, you must not be for me. But, but you got to learn to hold on to that shield of faith because it's that shield that will ultimately protect your life uh, from destruction. In verse 17, and take, again, Jesus provided all of this armor in his atonement. This is not something that we need God to give us, Christ to die, to make available to us. Our only obligation is to put each of these pieces of armor to use. So it's not, you know, just what, what God has provided, but, but what we learn to use that, that, that makes all the difference. So the fact that God provided this doesn't necessarily mean that we are using it and we are maximizing its capacity. You know, you can lead a horse to water, if you heard it said, but you can't make them drink. And the reality is you can put a table of food in front of a person, but you can't make them eat. And uh, with that, God has provided the armor or his armor for us, 
but we have to be the ones that take it up and actually use it. And that's the value of, of these lessons in this series. You're getting into God's Word, and we're talking about what this armor means so that you can use it uh, in your, your difficult, and, and the Bible calls them evil day, if you will. And take, again, if you choose not to take this armor, the, the world will use, the devil will use your neglect to, against you and take everything it can. It's not a nice place out there. The devil plays for keep. He's a mean devil. He's a bad devil. He does what a devil does. So if you give him an inch, he'll take a yard. That's just what he does. So if you neglect certain truths because, you know, I don't want to mess with that or I don't want to dig in, ultimately it's going to hurt you and it's going to allow the adversary to impact your life in ways that, that you would wish that wasn't the case. So we have six pieces of armor that we've been focusing on, and uh, uh, today we're focusing on the uh, fifth, and next week we will get to the, the, the sixth. But when you grab these pieces of armor, really these pieces of armor aren't literally pieces of armor. They're revelations. They are when, when God illuminates your heart in certain areas, it equips your mind uh, to handle things that might come your way. So when you allow God to instruct you and teach you in these six areas, you, you can begin to, to, to win in life's crisis. You can overcome, but you got to learn these six areas of Bible truth in order for you to be effective. And then he says in verse 17, and take the helmet. Now, there were several different types of helmets that were used by a Roman soldiers in the first century. I know today, you know, all of the soldiers wear the same uniform, but the army did not supply the helmets and the gear. Uh, typically, the soldier had to go to a blacksmith to get his gear made, and there were different blacksmiths that created with different designs, and they approached things differently. Also, some soldiers actually, uh, you know, their daddy passed down their helmet to them because, you know, uh, warfare was in the family, if you will. And uh, they would wear their daddy's helmet. So there were different, you know, styles of helmet, uh, helmets, et cetera. Uh, but typically, and I want to show you on the screen in just a moment, most of these helmets were made of bronze. And uh, they looked like the, the, the image on the screen. And they had pieces that came down along the, the sides that protected the jaws and the, the cheek. And the helmet, now just like the breast, the belt, forgive me, was the first piece of armor that a soldier put on. By the way, his sword was in that belt. And that was one of the reasons also it was one of the first pieces of armor he put on. The last piece of armor he put on was actually the, the helmet. But it was also this helmet, the part of his armor that each soldier took the most amount of pride in. So these guys were serious about their helmets, just like, you know, ladies sometimes are real serious about their shoes. These guys were into their, their, their helmets. And often their helmets had these elaborate uh, carvings and engravings, and, and it had a large crest on the top that was, you know, in most of the movies it's red. Sometimes it was yellow, but it's brightly colored. Every now and then you'd even see a, a black one, but it was, you know, brightly colored feathers or maybe horsehair that, that made the uh, soldier look more fierce and also made him look taller. When you have that on your head, you just look bigger. And when you saw an army of these, these men with these things on their heads, they look like giants coming at you. And these soldiers took pride in their helmets. It says, and take the what? Helmet. Now, each helmet weighed about one to five pounds, and the inside of the helmet 
was lined often with, uh, every now and then it would be felt, but typically it was lined with, with sponge, uh, just like our football helmets. You, you know, uh, I remember playing football, we had all that padding inside the, the helmet, and all that padding was designed to help absorb the blow. So someone, you know, when you get hit in the head, uh, the padding absorbs it so it doesn't go right up against your skull. So, uh, you know, this sponge that was inside the helmet is what God used to, to, to help us when, when life hits us so hard, we're seeing stars. It's that sponge that helps. So I want to uh, take a look at John 19, 29, and let's take a look at uh, how uh, this sponge was used in Scripture. After this, actually verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he knew that the sins of the entire race had been more than paid for. Jesus didn't just, you know, pay, you know, he just kind of, you know, got down to the penny and paid it. No, he was, his life was overpayment for the sins of the world. And uh, by the way, verses like this help us understand that Jesus was, was more than just a man. He was more than just a good guy. He was more than just an extraordinary man. Because for his one life to atone for all people who would ever trust him throughout human history, he had to have had a major life in order for God's scales of justice to say, Jesus and the sins of the world, and Jesus was heavier and mighty. I often say to you, and uh, I want to say it probably a little bit better than I've said it in the past, anything divided by infinity except infinity is zero. That's just a mathematical fact and truth. So when the eternal one suffered in our place, in my place, in your place, our sins instantly became zero in the ledger of God. Take a minute and think about that. You have the eternal one dying for finite creatures, and man, anything divided by eternity is zero. So all the sins that we could ever commit against the life, the death, and the suffering of Jesus Christ is instantly becomes zero. Jesus, well, God would have to look at Jesus differently in order for him to hold our sins against us after we have trusted in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, I'd even add that the divinity of Jesus was the primary factor that made the cross work. And if he was not who he said he was, the cross would have no effect. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he knew he had, he had done his thing, he did what the Father wanted him to do, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. He, 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 did, and he was concerned about finishing, not just starting, finishing. Then he said, I what? I thirst. See, Jesus knew the character of the Father. And a lot of times when we go through hard things, we start thinking God's hard. We go through bad things, we think God is bad. Jesus went through the hardest thing that a, a person could ever imagine. The worst thing that's ever happened to an innocent man happened to Jesus. And he wasn't just regular innocent. You know, I could go to jail, you know, as an innocent person. But you know what? I've done some bad stuff in my life. So even my innocence going to jail is, doesn't really compare to Christ. He did not deserve the punishment he received. He, he was as pure as the driven snow here. So here Jesus... As he's on the cross, his concept of God doesn't change. You see, God is only as hard as we need him to be, and then he's only that hard until it's over. 
You know, when, when you're getting a spanking from your parent, you know, back when spankings were legal, your parent was ultimately being as tough as they needed to be for your good. The parent didn't necessarily want to do what the parent was doing. This is if you had a good parent. Now, some parents are just crazy. And, uh, but, but if you had a good parent, they took no joy in disciplining you. And despite what Satan may tell you, you know, our pain hurts God more than it hurts us. And God was feeling Christ's pain. And uh, he was aware of his pain. And as soon as Jesus paid the price, God came with provision. And he provided actually through a, a sponge. Let's take a look. Verse 29. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar. You know, sponges absorb whatever you stick it into. And put it to his mouth. So as this sponge was used to supply Jesus with everything he needed to make his last statements from the cross. Maybe his throat was parsed. You know, he has gone through hell. I mean, he sweat droplets of blood. It was a whole thing. Then he got beat. Then he got on the cross. It was a whole thing. So he, he, he needed saliva and, and he needed liquid in order to speak. He's been sweating and bleeding and all the rest. But what we see here is that God provides us whatever we need to get through even the worst situations. And in, while Christ was on the cross, God provided this sponge in order to get Jesus everything he needs and help Jesus maintain his head in this particular crisis. And take the helmet of what? Salvation. Where is the battlefield? We talked about that. It's in the where? Mind. So if your helmet's not on snugly, the enemy's, what he's going to do is he, he's going to chop off or, or chop down the multiple blessings that God wants to give us right out, out of our theology. And this is why you got to be mindful of where you attend church and who you listen to. Make sure they're in the book. And uh, if they're not in the book, uh, that's how you're going to end up getting, getting messed up. So the devil, what he wants to do is limit our idea of how much God will save and how much God will do in our life. He can't stop our, our loving God and our relationship with God. He'll try to limit our understanding of God. So this is why, again, this helmet has to, to be snugly placed on our head. Now, the Greek word translated salvation here, it's the helmet of what? Salvation. Not just a helmet. He likens the helmet to what? Salvation. The Greek word here is soterios, soterios. And you may have heard that word before. And it's translated salvation, but it's an all-inclusive word that means welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, and in this case, even soundness of mind. And he said, and take the helmet of salvation. So we see here from the language that this helmet encompasses more than just one day dying and going to heaven. However, that is where it all starts. So today, I want to dig into five biblical ways that you can be assured of your salvation. And they're all going to come from the book of John, and then we're going to wrap up uh, for the day. Number one, 1 John 4 and 5. This is how you can have your mind anchored. I mean, wrapped tight knowing that I belong to him, that I, I, I am God's, that, that God will fight this battle through me. And, and uh, it'll help keep you sane when the devil's trying to point his finger at you and say you're, you're less than a child of God. Uh, number one, 1 John 4 and 15. John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. You see, at some point, it's not just enough to attend a church, become a member of a church, or even like, you know, a few gospel artists and, and listen to, to gospel radio. At some point, we have to actually open 
our mouths and say out loud before others as well as before God that, you know, the Son of God came to, he was crucified for my sins. He rose from the dead, and, and I want to make a public statement. And by the way, baptism is also uh, a way of us making that public statement before others. And, you know, at Grace Church, I often call people forward to give their life to Christ. And it's not because, you know, I just want people to be seen as much as the fact, you know, the way you start something impacts often how you continue it. And there's something about standing up and boldly stating, I belong to him. I believe. I don't care what they believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, rose for my sins. And, and making a public declaration is a big deal. A lot of folks talk about private faith and all that. Uh, but the reality, the Bible knows very little of that. Um, uh, the Bible expects us to, to be transparent and clear about who we trust and who we believe in. We are not to be ashamed of our king. So don't just, just feel it. If you have something to say, say it. And if God's put in your heart that, that Christ is risen, get it out your mouth. Get it said. Number two, John verse two and uh, chapter two and verse three. Now by this we know that we know him. So it's important. God's trying to help us know that we know him. I want to say that again. God's trying to help us know that we know him because we'll have moments where we kind of wonder. And uh, he said, this is going to anchor your soul. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandment, commandments. This is really, you know, I'm going back to when I was, uh, you know, gave my life to the Lord in my, my early 20s. This is how I really began to have confidence that Jesus came into my life and in my heart and that my faith was real. I actually began to do the things the Bible told me to do, things that I wouldn't even think about doing, things I, I didn't even, and I had no desire to live a, a, a biblical or a Christian life. But when I started wanting to obey his commandments and I found God helping me to, you know, keep his commandments, I was like, you know, something did happen to me. You know, it's, I am not the same guy because that guy would not be doing this. That guy would, would not be forgiven. That guy would not be trying to be kind. That guy would, would, would not be trying to be good in this situation. You know, that, that old guy would be trying to find a way, any way out of this situation. But this new guy on the inside of me, he, he's directing me differently, and the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.